Purple Insider is presented by Oakley. Express yourself, build a look that's made for you. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and this is indeed another fans-only episode. I promised that there would be multiple uh, this week fans-only episodes, and you guys delivered with a ton of great questions, so I have a lot more to get to. And uh, it'll be another week before we have OTAs, and then it goes on to minicamp, and of course, in the next two weeks, keeping an eye on on June 1st. Also something that I never talked about that I just realized as I was writing about today is Harrison Smith sticking around. He had a press conference a couple weeks ago, but it was in the middle of you know where we were deep into the draft and we just kind of said like, okay, Harrison Smith is back and it is what it is and whatever, right? Uh, but as I was going over his comments, it actually was quite interesting to listen back to Harrison Smith. And one of the things that he was talking about that I wanted to bring up before getting into the questions, just because it stuck out to me, was that he wanted to stay around to play for Brian Flores. And I think that you you could put this together. He didn't say it so directly, but you could put it together that he wanted to play in a more aggressive system than they had last year with Ed Donatel play in the box more often, blitz more often, all the numbers that we've gone over a bunch of times just about how different Brian Flores is. And that really popped to me that he was saying, it's one of the reasons that I wanted to be here in return to be a Minnesota Viking again. And he also talked about not feeling like it was an obligation, but more of something that uh, he and not enjoyed doing necessarily or that he felt like was a major part of his job, but being around younger players and passing along his knowledge, being a part of what his job is and also feeling like it was something that many players did for him. So now he has an opportunity to do it for other players. And I was thinking about this, that out of everybody on the defense, only one guy remains that was on the 2017 team. And that is Daniil Hunter. And how long Daniil Hunter remains, we don't know. At least on the defensive side, Delvin Cook was on the offensive side. How much longer he's going to be a Viking, we also don't know either. So we'll see. But, um, you know, Harrison Smith does have a chance here under Brian Flores to maybe extend his career a little by being used in the proper way, in my opinion, getting up into the box, trying to make plays in the backfield, getting sacks, getting interceptions, um, getting tackles for loss to maybe boost the Hall of Fame resume a little bit. He's got six Pro Bowls, only one All-Pro. Usually it takes multiple All-Pros. That will be hard if the Vikings don't have a great defense, though. So there is a chance that he will get overlooked if he has a good season. That's happened before where he's had good years but they struggled defensively and it just did not get talked about at all, or he did not get the attention that maybe he deserved. However, if they have a big turnaround on defense, that will get discussed a lot. Brian Flores will be talked about. Harrison Smith will get a lot of attention. So if they go up against Kansas City, if they go up against Cincinnati and he has big games, then he could get another Pro Bowl. You make seven Pro Bowls, maybe eight Pro Bowls, then you're talking about really bolstering that Hall of Fame resume. And uh, Harrison said that he wasn't sure how much longer he was going to play, that the thoughts creeped in about moving on to the next phase of his life, but he's here and uh, presumably he's going to be back playing very well as he always has for his entire career. So I think that's another interesting little dynamic that if they do make big gains, he will get a lot of the credit and it will of course be deserved. And then, you know, maybe we do see him get some of those awards as well, because if they have a good defense, it's going to be a very good team. And if they win the division and so forth, it, that they will get that spotlight that maybe 
uh, wasn't there last year because the defense was so bad. So they were getting all the blame um, and then, you know, not making the playoffs in 2020 and 2021. Like that's a lot harder to get the attention, even if he was still playing well. So that's just uh, something that I found to be interesting that I would pass along. You can always read the article purpleinsider.com, or I'm sure I'll tweet it out and so forth. Uh, but let's get into your questions because I have a lot of them to run through. So we'll start with uh, Skull Doc on Twitter. Is Ezra Cleveland a finished product at this point in his career, or could you see him improving his consistency? Yeah, I think it's really hard to declare someone who's an offensive lineman a finished product before the end of their rookie contract. He's 25 years old. I swear if he's younger than Hendon Hooker, it will be quite funny. Uh, but he's 25 years old, and he has had a lot of flashes throughout his career. I mean, his overall PFF grades have always been on the plus side. A lot of that has been due to his run blocking though. He's always been an exceptional run blocker, especially the last two years. And I mean, plus plus last year in terms of the, the run blocking, but he has never graded average as far as a pass blocker. And that's pretty concerning that there hasn't been any gains so far in his career by his PFF grade, I mean, 52, 55, and 53. Uh, so that's not even getting really slightly better. And when you talk about that consistency, I mean, wow, is it inconsistent. So I was looking at his game-by-game -game grades, and this really blew my mind. So he had, in a stretch of five or six games, he had an 84 pass blocking grade against Chicago. Now, I know it's Chicago. So he wasn't facing the toughest competition, but that's still a great grade. That's an elite grade, 84.5 out of 100. And then it went 45, 57, zero against Washington. 0, 0.0 grade. Nothing went right in that game. And the next three games were all above average. I mean, it seems to be how, how the other team plays, who is playing for the other team, what is the competition like, maybe how much they mix up their defense, the stunts, the twists, all those things that play into it, and then just the caliber of competition. Washington, the team he got a zero against, they have Jonathan Allen. They have good players. And that, I'm sure, played a huge role versus, say, Chicago, who he was able to play very well against. Now, nobody in the league ever has great numbers week after week after week. We always do see ups and downs, even from the elite players, but the downs are not usually zero. The, the downs are, okay, you had a below average game and then three good games and then a below average game and two good games. Uh, that's not been the case. It's really been a coin flip from week to week with Ezra Cleveland. And I don't know whether that consistency can change or not. Um, with Garrett Bradbury, he went three straight years where it wasn't particularly good. And then he took the next step. And, and last year, now some of that might have been circumstance with teams just going after the guards much more, the less experienced guards or Cleveland, who I'm sure opponents know is very inconsistent when it comes to handling blitzes and stunts and twists and things like that. So it might be just that Garrett Bradbury was attacked a lot less than he was before. But I also tend to think from watching the games back that he did anchor better, that some of the technical stuff was better from Garrett Bradbury. So I do think somebody who is an elite athlete at their position, like Bradbury or like Ezra Cleveland, that there is that chance uh, for him to take that big step forward at some point. And you have to also have to consider that this guy went from tackle to right guard to left guard. Now I still think that it was fair to expect another step this year, as opposed to the same exact numbers, but in the run blocking area, he was better. And in the overall grade, he was better. And I know that these PFF grades are not the exact gospel truth to everything. I mean, we just always have to say that, that we always want to contextualize what these PFF grades mean. But in this case, it matches up very much with what we've all seen from a week to week basis and going back through the all 22 tape and watching is that this guy can be the best offensive lineman on the field, or he can have some really, really long days. And those really long days can cost you. And if you have too many of those, then it's just like, just like a, a guy in baseball, right? They always say, what's the difference between a 200 and a 300 hitters, like one hit a week. Yeah. But the best guys get that hit. 
So what's the difference between a great guard and a mediocre guard is two or three misses per week. But those matter. Those are hits on your quarterback, right? Those are pressures on your quarterback and plays that are not effective. Um, So that consistency does have to matter. It's really hard to predict it. What I can say, though, is that if it does happen and he does take that next step, this guy was a elite athlete. So if he does take the next technical step, or maybe it's just recognizing certain things, communicating, it's a second year with an offensive line coach. If that happens, this offensive line could be legit. And that's even kind of regardless of whether Ed Ingram takes a big step as well, which, you know, again, it's very hard to say if he does or not. But if you have everybody except for one guy cooking, then you're still in pretty good shape. You can cover up for one guy. You can't cover up for two. That's kind of the way I've always looked at it is you can double, you can, you know, kind of move the protection, shift the protection one way. You can, you know, chip. I mean, guards are a little harder to chip, but you can give help to everybody except not two people at once. And last year they had to give help to two people at once and they weren't able to do it. And they gave up a lot of pressure because of it, but he's a swing guy for that offense. I mean, someone asked on the last fans only, Hey, could they be a top seven offense? And one of the reasons that I kind of balk a little bit is just, well, one, we're projecting Jordan Addison to be great already. He's a rookie. We don't know where that's going to go. And usually there is a learning curve unless he's Justin Jefferson, then there isn't one. Uh, But even then, you know, Jefferson was a little behind to start. And then as soon as he got uh, more playing time took off, but we don't really know how to project if Jordan Addison's ready to do something like that or if there will be a learning curve. So that's one thing. But the other thing is about these guards and whether they take that step forward. If they do, they can have a top offense. And I saw Mike Clay from ESPN uh, ranking the Vikings offensive line in the top 10. And I'm sure a major part of that is the tackles, major, major part. But he also is probably working in some element of these guys who are drafted high should at some point get better. If that happens for them, it'll be a very good thing. And it might, it maybe, maybe Kirk Cousins' first really good offensive line since he got to Minnesota. I don't know. I don't want to be bold, but I think it's possible. All right, from uh, Vikes fan 691 if you had to make one Vikings-related wager, what would it be, and how about one for the rest of the league? Personally, I think Vikings plus 350 to win the division is very enticing. I think that's very enticing as well. I mean, I as far as making one for the rest of the league, uh, I'll have to look at who might be interesting as far as winning divisions and everything else, but I can give you kind of a broad one in a second. But for the Vikings, I mean, everyone is so high on Detroit and kind of intrigued by Chicago. And those right there, um, I think, are enough to draw a lot of attention away from the Vikings. The other thing, too, is we just talked about a couple of swing factors on the offense. I mean, you look at all the different things that they're going to have as a team overall. They're going to have a different starting linebacker. They're going to have a different starting edge rusher and Marcus Davenport, probably a different starting safety and Lewis Seen, a backfield that's quite a bit different. No more Adam Thielen. If you're an outside person trying to decide, do you want to put your money down when a team has that much turnover and that few proven people taking over, there's kind of an inclination to say, you know what? They lost a lot of talent and I'm going to stay away from that one, or I'm going to lean into the lions, but maybe missing the forest through the trees a little bit that they have a proven quarterback that always wins a certain amount of games. At least they have a good offensive coach, the best receiver in the world, Like I just mentioned, an offensive line with potential and what's going to drive your success on a week to week basis is the offense, right? So, you know, there is a scenario where the Vikings do get 11 wins. I don't know that it's higher than that, uh, but if they do, are the Lions going to match them or are the Lions going to Lions? And even Lions Lionsing could mean just nine wins. It could mean that they repeat last year and they didn't actually improve. Now, when you look at their roster, though, it's kind of hard to believe that they will not improve. I mean, they have just made so many moves on the plus side on defense and like getting a linebacker in the first round is not something that is statistically all that sound. 
at the same time, if the guy is good, it's going to be really good for them. And they also got three corners in free agency and all three, I think were good moves. I mean, so they should improve. They should be better, but that's not a guarantee. And the other two teams, it's just hard to envision the Packers being right there at the top with Jordan Love in his first year. And Chicago, I think is one year away. And if the quarterback comes to fruition. So I, I, I like that for sure. If I, I don't know how, like how bold should I be? Should I be insulting to Aaron Rodgers and saying, take the under on the New York jets because I'm not buying it until I see it. I don't know, because I usually have a rule that we don't doubt legends, but that one, yeah, I think that where you're thinking probably with talking about this bet is whatever the off season hype team is often disappoints. And that's the jets and the lions. Weirdly, weirdly, the two teams that have just been atrocious for so long, but the Jets and the Lions are getting the offseason hype. So if you always go against the offseason hype, then picking against Rodgers in New York, thinking that you know maybe he doesn't have all of that skill back that he used to, and he's going to look just like last year where it's up and down, and maybe it wasn't all the receiver's fault. Or if you buy into that, then you could certainly see them hitting the under the other one might be well, it's hard. It's hard with green Bay. Cause I don't know how much hype there is with green Bay. Uh, the other one that came to mind for me though, as we're talking is the giants you know, a team that wins a playoff game last year, brings their quarterback back is going to get a lot of love, but we've talked about the regression for the Vikings. The giants were another version of the Vikings last year. They had all the same issues and we don't know what's going on with Saquon Barkley. I imagine he's going to play, they did get Darren Waller. That helps them quite a bit, but they didn't make some humongous receiver move. Daniel Jones might regress a little bit from last year and kind of go back to what he was before. Uh, they won a lot of one score games, things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, the Giants might be a pick to kind of go against. Uh, the other one that would be an interesting pick for anybody and this would be very risky, but I don't know. I don't know what the over-under is for the Houston Texans. But look at their division. They got a coach who might be good, finally a serious coach after several years of completely not serious coaching hires. And if C.J. Stroud is even decent right away, maybe you win some games. I don't know. Those are hard bets to make. All of them are hard bets to make. But if we were kind of looking to the rest of the league and saying, Hey, what's one that's not super obvious? Maybe those are a couple, but um, I'm not the best person to go with as far as wagering goes. So take that for what it is for just analysis of what I think of those teams and do not use your money based on what I say. Go to somebody smarter. Like I had Drew Dinsick on the show the other day. He's smarter when it comes to gambling. Go to him. Folks, I'm super excited to announce a new sponsor to the show that just made us a whole lot cooler. Oakley, express yourself and build a look that's made for you. You guys know that I spend my summers on the golf course, and while my golf game will remain the same, Oakley's will do two things for me. They will improve my golf look by a lot. Anytime I can look more like Justin Jefferson, I've got to take that opportunity. And they will also protect my eyes from the hot Minnesota sun as well. If you're out golf, like me, training, going to baseball games here in town, or hey, training camp is right around the corner, and I know you guys are going to be out there watching practice just like me. Oakley is changing the game, so it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. They're suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses, allowing for an extension of yourself, an expression of your personality more than meets the eye. So make a sunglasses upgrade now at oakley.com. Personally, I'm getting the Holbrook XLs for a classic look. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the heck is that, you ask? It is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you want to do your own research, so head over to oakley.com. And while you're at it, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there's really more than meets the eye. Trust me, try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Uh, this is for uh, from Josh R. Smith, our friend, Josh Smith, who was on the show not too long ago. 
Uh, pie chart of 2023 carries for Madison, Chandler, McBride, and Kenne Wongwu. I will say, uh, this is all, of course, assuming Delvin Cook isn't here. It's been weird talking about just Delvin Cook being gone when he is not gone. But I guess we talked about Zadarius Smith in the same way. And, well, he's gone. Uh, but let's assume that it is those four running backs. You forgot CJ Ham. So already that's a demerit there. CJ Ham deserves at least 2% of those carries. I will go out of those four players with Alexander Madison getting 60% of the total carries and the other 40% going 25 to Chandler, 15 to McBride and zero to Kenny Wongwu. And I'm basing it on history. Last year, there was opportunities to use Kenny Wongwu and they did not do it. Uh, they made no effort whatsoever to get Kenny Wongwu on the field. I don't really know why, but it was quite clear when Kevin O'Connell was talking about it, that, that was something he didn't want. Now that might be because he does not understand the offense as well as they need him to. It might be because they don't trust him in pass blocking, or I, I'm not really sure what the guy is a dynamic talent. And you would definitely think that he would be able to get the ball in his hands a couple times and use that explosiveness. I could be totally off on that. It's just that right now, based on what we saw last year, it doesn't feel like they really want Kenny Wongwu to play as a running back. Seems like they just want him as a kick returner. And so a fourth round pick that turns into a kick returner, a running back may be underwhelming, but you know, is what it is. I think McBride's going to show something right away. And what Chandler did last year was very intriguing, but Madison is the guy. I mean, he's the one that has all the experience. He understands all the blocking scheme and just something to keep an eye on for Alexander Madison. I think he's a really good catcher of the football and they did not use their screen game or their short pass game to running backs very effectively at all. But a few of the most effective throws aside from that one against Indianapolis, the 80 yard touchdown, but most of their, not in most, but a lot of their effective throws did go to Alexander Madison. A touchdown on a little screen pass uh, in New Orleans had another one where he ran a slant over the middle, went for a touchdown. So I think that he actually can catch the ball uh, and uh, maybe has a little better talent with his hands. It doesn't drop as many passes as Delvin Cook. So that might be something to watch for. But I mean, until we see training camp and preseason, how that plays out, it'll be hard to know. But if I'm projecting it right now, I still think the massively going toward Madison. And if you're a fantasy player who's a Viking fan, that would be a guy I would really lean into uh, because I am skeptical about the young running backs just completely taking away his job. Uh, from Elysium, maybe for how you pronounce it. Sorry if it's not. Uh, is it too late to trade Kirk? <laughs> no. Uh, no, uh, after June 1st is when his contract sets up for that possibility. And then I guess we'll see. Realistically, yeah, I mean, it probably is. It probably is. Technically speaking, it only becomes time that they could trade Kirk after June 1st. And if there was anything ever in the works with Trey Lance or whatever conversations that they might have been having... If there is a team out there that wants to trade for Kirk Cousins, then that could happen after that. But the question, of course, is going to be who is playing quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings then? If it is Kirk for Trey Lance, first of all, the internet will explode and I will laugh hysterically because of the number of times we've talked about how unrealistic it was and then for it to come to fruition would just be very funny. Uh, I still think it's quite unrealistic that that could happen. If it does, if it does, then it will happen two weeks from now, three weeks from now or beyond. And it's not the craziest thing. Uh, once upon a time, this old veteran quarterback showed up with the Vikings in 2009 and took them to the NFC championship. Uh, missing OTAs, I mean, probably shouldn't really hurt somebody if they're a good quarterback. Uh, they'll be able to catch up over the summer and then be ready to go in July. If they're going to do it, then they're going to do it shortly after June 1st. I would say the odds are at the tiniest flicker at this point, but they're not completely dead. 
I mean, because there's no extension. And as long as there's no extension, then the possibility is alive. But creating this extra cap space, um, then after June 1st, they could totally do it without any sort of problem. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I don't see it happening. I, th I think what this year is going to be is Kirk Cousins doing everything he can to, again, prove to the Vikings that they're making a mistake by not giving him that contract extension that he wanted. That's one. Uh, I think it's to audition for the rest of the NFL should he hit free agency. He still could sign a contract extension at any time, so maybe it's to, to force their hand. And it's also, after last year, Kirk Cousins ran up the meter a little bit on his win-loss record. And that has always been a discussion with Kirk Cousins, that he has always been a 500-type quarterback, and he has been asked about it repeatedly, and he's kind of been Mr. 500. So getting 13 wins last year, that was big for him. And I'm sure he would tell you, oh, I don't care about that. Win-loss record doesn't matter. Of course he does. Any one of us would care about that. You want a winning record as a quarterback. I mean, I, I know this, some of the statistical people will tell you, I don't know about the win-loss thing. I promise you that the actual quarterbacks, uh, they want to win more games than they lose by a lot. They want their pro football reference page to say, this dude won a lot of games. Um, so, I mean, Kirk has a lot to be motivated for for this season. And the Vikings and their management can look at this as, well, we're going to try to be legitimately competitive in a division where there's no real sure things. And if you win the division again, you're in pretty good shape. How that affects the whole quarterback situation in the future, hard to say, but then you might be in a spot where you feel really good about your team because if you win the division, that means those defensive players who are young, they took a step forward. That means they stepped up. And it probably means Jordan Addison was pretty good and your young running backs were pretty good. And so then you feel really, really strongly about the next quarterback you're going to put into a position where it's a team ready to win. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, again, circling back to your question, it's not too late to trade Kirk cousins, but you can still see the vision for where this could go and how it could work out ideally to be competitive and still look to replace the quarterback position in the future. If that's what they want to do. Uh, this one comes from at, uh, Warley owl. What's the difference between playing defensive end in a 4-3 and outside linebacker in a 3-4? I think you mentioned Zadarius being best suited for the latter, but uh, why and how does that translate to Daniil Hunter? Yeah, I mean, so the 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three thing is pretty overrated to talk about because it's not like the old days of these four linebackers, the Dome Patrol where you got Ricky Jackson and Sam Mills and, you know, you, you don't really have that or even going back to Pittsburgh, uh, the early Carolina teams with Kevin Green, they had something like that. So there were these beastly three fours that were playing four linebackers all the time, and we just don't see it like that a whole lot anymore. What it turns into now is on a three four, you'll see, I mean, it, they, sometimes they line up in that kind of formation, that base three four, but normally everyone is playing in the nickel. But what the one thing that you will see as a difference is the stand-up outside linebacker where you're playing way outside the tackle. So those guys are not lined up like right over the tackle. What you would see in a 3-4 a lot more. It's a lot tighter to the formation most of the time. That, but you can even make adjustments on that. And sometimes someone like Dean Lowry will be called a defensive end because he'll be the one lining up closer to the tackle. But the differences are pretty small since most teams are running three wide receivers and it's mostly nickel. And you don't have that one massive nose tackle over the center, two traditional defensive ends, and then outside linebackers outside of them. So it's not often uh, five men at the defensive line. But you will see that, though. I think more often with one linebacker, it's kind of an interesting little twist that uh, a lot of teams have done in recent years where they play five men on the defensive line and just one linebacker. And that's kind of three, four ish as well, I guess. Or you do see that from the three, four guys, but as it pertains to Daniel Hunter last year, I think there was a little bit of an adjustment of standing up or playing way outside but by the end of the year, it was the same guy with the same production. I mean, even like midway through, the light kind of came on. 
and there really wasn't that much of a difference. But I think with Zadarius Smith, when you think 3-4, you think of like more flexibility, more versatility, and that's what Brian Flores is trying to do. That's what Bill Belichick has long done, where Zadarius Smith, I think he was best fit for it because one, he's an excellent stand-up rusher. So if he's way outside the tackle, he can stand up and explode quickly. Or I think Daniil Hunter's a little better when he is down in that three-point stance and exploding up. Just, I mean, from the experience that he's had doing it, I think he's better with that than it is the stand-up. But Zedarius is a stand-up guy, doesn't mind being outside the tackle. But also, you can move him to a lot of different spots in a lot of different looks. And I think that the 3-4 has a little more of a reputation for flexibility. So that's kind of the way that I would look at it. But no, it's not. It's not massively different. And I think that if Daniil Hunter stays and plays under Brian Flores, he's just going to be Daniil Hunter. That as long as his health holds up, he'll get his 10 sacks. He'll get his 50, 60 pressures. And he's going to be a really good player for them. I, I mean, I don't think that system, and we saw this last year, I don't think system really impacts edge rushers that much uh, unless you're trying to move them to some traditional pass rush or, or non-pass rush role. Um, there were a few times where Daniil Hunter dropped back in coverage that were ugly last year, but in all told, it wasn't very much. So that is a little bit of the difference too. If you're playing in that base three, four, that guy can get caught playing coverage sometimes. But when you look at the actual numbers, it was one or two times per game. It really wasn't very much as opposed to zero times. So yeah, there's not that much of a gap these days in the way that that's played. Uh, from Wade, do you uh, have any recommendations for books or other resources that might give us a better understanding of pigskin data science? Well, uh, I know that my friend Eric Eager from Sumer Sports uh, just wrote a book that is extremely math driven about football analytics, kind of like how to make them. Uh, I have not read it yet. I'm on my way to do that. But uh, he's working on that project now. I think it's just come out. So I think that's a very, very mathy. So it really depends on what you're looking for for pigskin data. I mean, are you looking for the actual data science, which is deep in the weeds? Because that's why I would suggest I would suggest following someone like Eric, uh, what Sumer Sports is doing now, what PFF has done in the past with their data. Those things are worth looking up. Another guy that's great to read, and it sounds like it would be perfect for you to sign up for his newsletter is Kevin Cole, who comes on the show all the time. He is a great data science guy, former PFF, and uh, he breaks it down kind of like no other in math terms. Really, really smart when it comes to that. So I think that the best plan is to seek out the data scientists. Uh, Tage Seth has been on the show. He's working for Sumer Sports now. Seek out some of the data scientists and follow their work closely and see what they do. I know that uh, Ben Baldwin of The Athletic, he was kind of a, an inventor of the punt machine. He's also worked on the draft stuff. Um, his website is really good for uh, looking at expected points added and things like that. So it's really that there are a handful of leaders in that arena that are worth following, maybe more than just getting uh, a book that teaches you data science. Because again, I, I don't know if you're interested in like knowing what it says in the conclusions and trying to learn how to think like a data scientist, or actually you want to create those charts and learn how to plug it into your computer. So those are all different levels and there's different people that you can learn from when it comes to that. Also, uh, I know that Football Outsiders has had some financial struggles that have been written about, and I feel very sad about that. Uh, because I read a ton of that uh, over the years, Football Outsiders being a leading voice in applying data to football. So there's a lot of resources out there. Aaron Schatz, if you don't know him, follow him. He's always got great thoughts as well. Uh, Brian Burke from ESPN, Seth Walder from ESPN. So they're kind of out there. And uh, there's a lot of interesting data study that's going on now. Ton of it, really. I mean, especially with the Big Data Bowl, which is where a bunch of analytics people get together and do presentations for the NFL at the Combine. A lot of those folks are sharing their work and creating more of it. So I, I would say go to social media and try to seek those people out and follow what they do from there. Our next question is from at Connor Strunk. Uh, the, uh, since the Vikings traded away Zadarius, are there any free agent pass rushers 
you think the Vikings would add before training camp? Well, let's uh, go to the old overthecap.com and look at the free agent list and see. I have not memorized it, so I'm going to look. Now, Leonard Floyd is the first guy that comes to mind because he has the Los Angeles connection. So he's the one that I've kind of brought up for, hey, maybe this could be somebody. Uh, Robert Quinn played a little bit for the Eagles last year. I don't think he was that effective, um, but he is a free agent as well. You have Yannick Ngakwe, Jadavian Clowney. Shelby Harris is an interesting one. Uh, Marcus Goldman. So just kind of one by one. Uh, Melvin Ingram was still good. I think last year, I didn't know he was a free agent. Justin Houston is an outside linebacker. I mean, there's, there's dudes. There are dudes. Kyle Van Noy, he would have a connection uh, through the, the Patriots. And then, I mean, Vinny Curry always gets a job. Carl Nassib. There, yeah, there are players. There are players. And uh, I'm not cross-checking every single one of these. So I'm sorry if any of them have signed really recently and they're still on this list. But if I were ranking, if they wanted to go out and get a veteran, which I would prefer they not do and just go with the young guys and young-ish applies to Marcus Davenport and see what happens. But Leonard Floyd would be at the top of the list. He was excellent last year. Frank Clark, I'm not all that interested in for this team. Robert Quinn, Yannick Ngakwe, very meh on them. Shelby Harris is an interesting one. I mean, he's 32 years old, so there might not be a point to doing that but he can get after the passer a little as an interior rusher. And uh, Marcus Goldman, uh, Golden, the same kind of thing. He's 32. I don't know if there's a point to doing that. Uh, Melvin Ingram is 34, same kind of deal. And so is Justin Houston. So these guys are all on the older side of things. And you'd really be getting a veteran, veteran type of player if that's the way you're doing it. I, again, would prefer if they were going to spend some money that they did it for somebody who was sub 30 years old who might have some upside. The unfortunate part is that most of those guys are gone at this point. They are not in free agency anymore. So if they were to go out and get a veteran, they could help their pass rush. I mean, I named five, six players who could instantly help them and they don't have jobs yet. So they're not going to be expensive. And I mean, maybe they sign too. I don't know. Like it just, it's, where they are right now makes so much sense to me, though. Seeing what Patrick Jones can do, seeing what DJ Wanham can do, because even though Wanham has not been a consistent pressure creator, he still has picked up some sacks over the last couple of years. Can he take a step to be a little more consistent of a player, like we were talking about with Ezra Cleveland? And then you want to see Marcus Davenport play 600, 700 snaps. He's never really done that in his career. So can he be an every down guy? Can he stay healthy? Can he stay consistent enough to do that and take another step and fit in this defense? These are all things that I'd like to discover as we go forward, rather than saying like, oh, Leonard Floyd is here and he's going to get his handful of sacks. And then what? He's going to go play for somebody else next year. And we've left Patrick Jones on the bench and haven't found out if he can really play or not. And I think that there was enough there with both of those guys with Wanham and Patrick Jones to want to see them to Wanham see them. No, 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 don't do that. Uh, but to, yeah, to want to see them uh, maybe play a little bit more. And that doesn't have to mean in an every down role, but if they're rotating in with Daniil Hunter, if he's here and Marcus Davenport, uh, then you're discovering what you have for the future rather than just leaving those guys on the bench. And then it opens the door for also, you never know who's going to kind of emerge and surprise you. Luigi Valene was a guy on the team. Andre Carter, though I think he's more of a project player, still, like, could he maybe emerge throughout training camp? Like, I don't know. I, I want to see. I don't know what the odds are that those guys become as good as Leonard Floyd. Probably not much, but I want to see, rather than seeing a veteran. But there are names. If they want to get somebody, they can't. All right, from Phil Antonarella. Sorry, uh, I think that is close. How long do they let Ed Ingram start if he struggles? Mm, that is a good question. Well, in 2021, they briefly for a couple of weeks benched Garrett Bradbury. That was in year three. I don't know if he gets benched this year unless it is a total disaster as it was sometimes in pass protection last year, 
but I think that they'll let it play out. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at who is on the bench, you have Oli Udo, right? You have uh, what Chris Reed came back, Austin Schlopman. I mean, they're you're if you're benching him, it's over. It's like that is a bust. That pick didn't work because the guys behind him are backups. They are not really starters. That means that you're pushing kind of the bust button. And I think they'll wait to do that. It is a good question that if he struggled for most of the year mightily and you got down the stretch of the playoff race and it was really costing them. Like, let's say that in week 13, he gives up seven pressures, two sacks, Kirk's gets strip sacked, loses the game. There might be a moment where they say, all right, we're, we're in the race here. We got to do something. We got to make a change that you could see if it's a regular year and they're kind of winning or up and down and there are good weeks and bad weeks. I think they'll let him fight through it. It would have to be, it's going just as bad as last year. And then there's a moment like remember in Seattle in 2020 with Drew Samia, that was the moment it was over. He played so poorly in that game against Seattle. It was just over. They just couldn't put him back out there after that. And um, if, if Ingram has one of those games, then I think they will have to consider it, but I would more likely think that they'll just let him play it out for the entire year and see how it goes. But it's kind of a situational type thing. I mean, with Garrett Bradbury, if I remember he missed the week, maybe due to COVID and then uh, Mason Cole came in and Mason Cole's a decent player. And so he came in and played okay. And they decided to just stick with Mason Cole because it was working. And then they changed it back after Mason Cole wasn't working anymore. Um, we might see situations like that as well. But once the guy is taken out and hits the bench, you know, back in the day, maybe you'd bench guys all the time and then just bring them back in and whatever. It was part of the league. Now, though, if you invested that much and you've been starting him and everything else, and then you bench him, it probably means he's unlikely to ever come back. So you have to take that pretty seriously. But that is like things to watch that we are setting up for next year. Definitely one of them is the progress that he makes because that is very important to this offense. All right, from uh, at Johnny Drag, uh, what are the most likely uses of the freed up cap money without assuming that they have also freed up uh, with and without assuming that they have freed up Delvin Cook's money? Well, I think that the most likely use is probably just to save it and use it for the contract extensions. They have several of them that I think that they want to do. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson, and then we'll see about Daniel Hunter. But um, as I was talking about a little bit yesterday, you can push some of that money into right now, which could be helpful for spreading out the cap hits down the road into the future. So that is the most likely either way. Now, if they do free up the money with Delvin Cook, you could potentially bring in one of those players that we were just talking about as depth as a pass rusher. I think as an interior pass rusher, maybe they could use another body in there because so they drafted Jaqueline uh, Roy, but he's more of a nose tackle run stuffer. He's got some ability to get after the passer, but that's a late round draft pick that you can't really expect to make a difference on the interior. Asazia Tomowo, Ross Blacklock. I mean, maybe they're factoring Ross Blacklock into that. Uh, but I could see another interior player coming in and having, uh, you know, some competition, but also they might want to see, and here's another interesting dynamic that does happen. And, you know, we don't really talk about it much, but I remember a couple of years ago, Cam Dantzler got hurt and was not available for, I think, OTAs. And that's when they went out and got Bashad Breland basically to say, look, if you're not going to be ready, then we're going to go get someone else. That wasn't a great move to get Bashad Breland. If they feel the same way about Andrew Booth Jr. or a Caleb Evans, they could look at corner, even though they drafted two defensive backs, they could look at corner to bring in a veteran uh, at those positions. But I think that the roster is, this could be like famous last words and there could be an avalanche of moves, but it feels like the roster is close to being done. 
even if they move on from those guys. And you are allowed to carry over cap space into the future. So that is an important note as well, that if you create the cap space now and you don't really use it for anything, you can use it in the future. It's not like you can't take it with you. You can. And that might help them maybe lighten the load after some particular quarterback has a $28 million dead cap for next year. So the answer, if we were ranking, what are they going to do with it? Uh, it's probably some for extensions and then maybe not much else and try to use it for next year and set up their cap situation a little bit better than it currently is. All right. From uh coma one, two, zero one on Twitter in your mind, what is the ceiling and floor for this team in 2023 record wise at this moment, which is a long way away from them actually playing games. I think that the ceiling is 11 games and you guys, if you were listening to the podcast, heard Will Raggett's pick them to win 11. I think that's, that's probably about everything going really well. If they have that top 10 offense, if the defense improves realistically, I mean, asking it to go from 27th to top 10 to top five is a big ask for a bunch of players that have very little experience. And it's very hard to project from that way. So 11 wins with the schedule, knowing how hard it is, they could play just as well or better than last year and win 11 if they lose a couple of close games, have a couple of bad breaks that they didn't have last year, and and then just play harder opponents than they did last year with better quarterbacks. And so I think that if they won more than 11, I'd be very surprised. Uh, The floor is probably like five. Five. So here's the thing about Brian Flores. I think that Brian Flores with all the chess pieces is as good as it gets for a defense coordinator, but there's only so much that one man can do. And if things go sideways roster wise, he has a 32nd ranked defense on his resume once with Miami. Now they were tanking, but they had a lot of the same sort of things of unproven younger players And that's how they ended up at the bottom of the NFL once. And if they just struggle, if Booth Jr. gets hurt, if Evans isn't good, if Murphy's not a great fit, if Lewis Seen isn't in there or is struggling, if they're not pressuring the quarterback, if they have to get rid of Hunter and then Davenport gets hurt. Like we've seen this movie before with, hey, all these young players will just take these big steps and then they don't. And if that happens, might be a five-win team. I think they could still score, but can they score with a lot of those teams? And the thing to consider is last year it was Mac Jones and Mike White and all sorts of not great quarterbacks, Andy Dalton, that were having pretty good days against them. This year, the median quarterback, the middle quarterback that they're facing, the average quarterback, put aside the Jalen Hurts, put aside the Joe Burrow, the Patrick Mahomes, just don't even consider those. Uh, The middle quarterbacks are very good. The Jimmy Garoppolo's, again, if he's healthy. The Derek Carr, who's always healthy for New Orleans. These guys are, are good. These guys have big games on their resume, and they will light you up if you're a bad defense. I mean, these Kirkian-type quarterbacks, what does Kirk Cousins always do? Throttles bad defenses. Well, if you end up with a bad defense, you could win five, six games. And look, sometimes it's luck. Last year, the Raiders, it was luck for them. They lost a ton of super close games. They were the anti Vikings. And if the Vikings do what they did this year, they could win five or six. I think it's a pretty wide spectrum of potential for um, wins and losses. Yep. Okay. uh, One more question here. Any movement from Zonk? (laughs) Love this. Zonk641. That's a good name. Any long-term, uh, any movement on long-term deals for JJ or TJ after this cap clearing move? Yeah, I can't tell you. I don't know. Uh, I cannot get inside Justin Jefferson or TJ Hawkinson's head. All I know is that it makes a lot of sense for the Vikings to extend both of those guys. Because if they do, then they are putting together one of the best offensive setups in the entire NFL for the future. Both of them are young. Both of them are really good at their jobs. Justin Jefferson, the best in the NFL. And I think ultimately with Justin Jefferson, especially now TJ Hawkinson, a little more dodgy on this. 
But with Justin Jefferson, you have to consider that if you try to fight the man when it comes to the contract situation, yes, it is the player empowerment era and you can try to just like have a hissy fit and fight your way out. Maybe, maybe you can do that if you want to. And it's been done. But for the most part, it's very hard to get out of a rookie contract. That's, yeah, that's the CBA we live in. But they did this on purpose, the first round picks, so they didn't all just hit free agency as soon as they're done with their contracts. They made it very favorable for the team that drafts the player to keep the player because you have fifth year option, you have franchise tag. I mean, this thing could go on forever. So it is better from his position to sign the contract, get the massive money, get a lot of it right away, put it in your pocket, secure your future, secure your family's future. And also you're with a very good organization that you have a lot of say in. I still lean that direction with Justin Jefferson, that that is a thing that can happen. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, I don't know. I don't know what's on TJ Hawkinson's mind. I mean, I think that he's a guy that fits super, super well with this organization, but he's also got to know that if he hits free agency, it's going to make a lot of money, a lot of money. And he's already played well with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins leans on him a lot. If Kirk Cousins throws him 87 footballs next year, that dude might press 20 million on the free agent market. Uh, there is an argument for TJ Hawkinson to not sign right now, bet on himself, make a ton of catches, score some touchdowns and get a ton of money next year. But I think the Vikings will make an effort there. But as far as actual movement, no, I mean, there's no rumors, reports, anything else out like that, that those things are happening. And if they do 90% chance, if it happens, it's going to happen before a training camp or at the start of training camp. That's just how it's traditionally gone. So we'll keep an eye on that. I am still leaning, though, toward betting that Jefferson does sign an extension. Hawkinson, though, I think is more like 60-40 he does, but I'm not 100% sure what's going on in his head and his agent's head. They've got to know that that payday is going to be huge. And if you're the Vikings, you do have to make decisions. Darisaw, if you're signing Hunter, Jefferson, it's a lot of money to be spread around. Can you afford to pay a tight end that much? Uh, maybe they'll wait. Maybe they'll wait a whole year and kind of see where it's at because it was only a half a year last year. Um, if they make the trade for a second round pick and he doesn't sign, it looks a lot different. If he does, that's also got to be a motivating factor. I think um, I think they've got to consider that for sure. So, uh, okay, well, uh, great questions, great questions. And there's going to be at least one, maybe two more of these episodes. I hope you like them. Uh, I really like them uh, answering these fan questions. You guys always have so many interesting things to say. So purpleinsider.com, the contact us is one way to do it. You can also tweet me, DM me uh, on Twitter at Matthew Collar is a good way to get your question answered. But um, you guys really on fire this week with these. So there will be more episodes to come. Thanks so much for all your questions and for all of you watching slash listening. And we'll catch you next time.